What are we discussing on today's podcast, you ask? Well, it's crossover time with Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects because we got to ask him with September coming up, is it time for Jordan Lawler to get the promotion to the D-backs and discussing the best non-Corbin Carroll rookies in Arizona this season? Bringing it all down with Lindsey Crosby on today's Locked On Diamondbacks crossover. Are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. I'm Lil Thomas. Check out my uh, personal Twitter account at CreatorThomas24. Look up the show account, Locked on Dimebacks, build Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Check out the YouTube Locked on Dimebacks. Please hit subscribe. And of course, we're on all your podcasting platforms. Now, without further ado, to talk about all the D-backs youngsters, the rookies, the minor leaguers, and of course, Jordan Lawler, we got to talk to the man who knows it all, Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, I, I am great. This is the best time of the year because you get to bring all the kids up and you could they can still be Rookie of the Year next year. So we love it. This is uh, tons of fun, and I'm excited to talk about is Jordan Lawler going to get the call? That's the big question here. Yeah, and that's what I want to do with you today, Lindsay, and ask that question because I kind of have this idea because I think over the last couple of months, I mean, even pre, you know, with September being tomorrow, I guess at the time of people listening to this podcast, or I guess today, um, we've seen, you know, teams like the LA Angels call up dudes that we just saw from this past draft, right? <laughs> yeah. You have the Zach Needles of the world who were like drafted last year already called up. And it seems like the Dela Cruz's and all these guys spend like maybe 12 months if that, like six to 18 months of minor leagues before they're getting called up. And I want to know, it's just time for Jordan Lawler to get that promotion as well, because the D-backs are fighting for a wild card spot. And listen, a guy like Nick Ahmed, oh, he swings out a lot of bad pitches. Lindsay's not like he's doing a lot for the D-backs off Offensively, so if a guy like Jordan Lawler, who we already seen a little bit on the AAA level with the Reno Aces, already start to make a little impact with them, 283 average, 854 OPS, and just 12 games, small sample size, but with so many big implications down the stretch for the D-backs, is it time for Jordan Lawler to get that promotion? I think it's entirely defensible to call him up, right? Because defense isn't the problem. You're gonna like you're gonna get defense from Harold Perdomo. You're gonna get defense from Nick Ahmed, but it's it's offense on the left side of the infield, both mm-hmm. shortstop and third base. And yeah. Jordan Lawler has not played anywhere but shortstop in his minor league career. He's never played, made a start at third or second or even logged an official inning. But if you plug him in at shortstop, you now have the ability to move other guys around. And to me, there's some things to be a little bit worried about in the profile, but it's also really small sample size. And at this point, What's it going to hurt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my question is, what are you worried about? Because I have to weigh my options and like, who is Jordan Lawler fighting against, right? Okay. Because like you just said, with shortstop, that's basically been his position the whole his whole career. And it's like, yeah. 
if that's the case, I'm probably not playing Nick Ahmed or someone at third base. So if it's Jordan Lawler versus Nick Ahmed, and they both probably give you the same, you know, level defensively, I know Jordan Lawler has at least a ceiling offensively because I know yeah. what Nick Ahmed is going to do for me at the plate. It's going to be a zero, a negative player at the plate. Jordan Lawler, I don't know what he's going to be, but at least theoretically, I can bet on an upside with Jordan Lawler. So if I'm going to bet on one of these two guys to actually succeed and make a bigger impact down the stretch, I'm going to probably ride with Jordan Lawler. But if you had to hesitate as to calling him up right now, what would you say the weaknesses that you see in his game are? Okay, so it's it's very small sample size because he's, like you said, AAA's not been there that long, but that's where we have StatCast data from. He has seen, as of time of recording, so not counting Thursday night's games, mm-hmm. he has seen 221 pitches in AAA. He's batting 357 on fastballs, Okay, contact percentage of 84%. He doesn't chase him a lot. He doesn't swing and miss a lot. 9% swing and strike. When he sees a fastball, he hits it. Great. Off-speed pitches. He's batting 333. Uh, 20% chase, a little bit more, but 80% contact. He's fine with it. Breaking pitches, he's batting .083. He mm. does, he, now, he does not chase them. 14.3% of the time is, is, is his chase numbers. So he, he's good at recognizing breaking pitches. He doesn't swing at them, but when he does swing, he doesn't hit them. And specifically when you break it down into individual pitches in triple a Jordan Lawler has not hit a slider this year. And so there's a little bit of me that I'm like, okay, it's probably right to be to question How would it go if you call him up? But then at the same time, this is an incredibly small sample. This is 221 pitches. Mm -hmm. And so, like, is this just a fluke? Is this just something where they see, and I've talked to minor leaguers who do this. They see an opposing prospect come up who's a top 50 prospect. He's a hot name. What's the natural instinct as a pitcher? I'm going to grab my fastball and just blow it by this dude. I am Mm -hmm. not going to let him get a hit off of me. And so, Maybe he's just not seen a lot of breaking pitches. Maybe he's just not seen a lot of sliders. That's why it doesn't show there's a hit there. So bring him to the major league level. You know that defensively he's going to be just as good as anybody else that you have there. Um, But offensively, the ceiling is higher, but we don't know where the floor right now is because all we have is the small sample size noise and we don't know how true this is or not. Yeah, and I've seen Nick Ahmed with 20,000 pitchers. He can't hit any of them. Slider, <laughs> fastball, breaking, it don't really matter. So it's like I could put Jordan Lawler at shortstop, and then maybe I do a Perdomo, Evan Longoria, a little third base split, uh, you know, platoon action because her, uh, Perdomo is that switch hitter. So maybe yeah. all of a sudden Lawler's like, essentially your everyday shortstop. I don't know if you want to commit that many, uh, you know, minutes or innings to Lawler uh, at this stage of his career. But he also just provides so many other tools and skills that like, yeah, maybe he can't hit right away at the plate. But if he's still a guy that could get on base with how the D-backs philosophy is when it comes to base running and creating chaos and being aggressive, like Jordan Lawler seems like another speedster, another dude. Like, I don't know where he ranks in the stat cast. Like, can you speak more to how fast Jordan Lawler is? I mean, it's it's definitely at least plus speed. But when you watch Jordan Lawler, he's very, very good at knowing when to take the chance and when not. And so okay. it's it's something where he gets really good reads off of not just pitchers as far as steals, but also going first if they're on a base hit, you know, 
things like that. He's very, very good at getting the read and making the correct decision. And this is already a Diamondbacks team with Corbin Carroll that's very, very aggressive on the base paths. I feel like Jordan Lawler gives you another aspect of that because it's plus speed and just the short range quickness. He gets up to speed really quickly and he can move when you get him going. I mean, I've seen him score from first on a base hit in the corner, things like that. I, I, I feel like it's an ad. I if it's me. I'm going to do it because as long as he doesn't get 130 at bats in the regular season, he's not going to he's not going to lose rookie eligibility. And so next year he can still have that rookie of the year campaign. And I legitimately think he is good enough to be in the conversation for rookie of the year after a full season. It's just the only question I have is, is this breaking pitch thing, small sample size noise, or is this just like we know that he's really good with velocity? We know that. He's never really had huge strikeout issues. Is this just something where he got to AAA? Maybe he saw a couple really good breaking pitches and he hasn't hit them yet. Is it just small sample size? I don't know. Yeah, let's get him on the major league level and see which weaknesses translate. And then we get that small sample size, you know, with Arizona the last 20 games of the season. And then the coaches could work with him through the offseason after seeing him on the major league level. Give Jordan Lawler that experience of also playing in big, high-stake games down the stretch of your rookie season. Because even though the D-backs didn't play in high-stake games last year, I do think it was important that Corbin Carroll got called up and he had a little cup of coffee with the D-backs. At least got to be acclimated, get to be around the players and the coaching staff every day. So I do think stuff like that helps these youngsters when they first get called up. There is nothing as valuable as that 20 game sample at the end of the season where you have 20 games of high level data where you can see this is how they did against every type of pitch. This is how pitchers attacked them. This is how, uh, you know, teams work to hold them on base at first. And it's not 100% true for every year, but oftentimes when you go back and you look, those guys who are in the rookie of the year conversation in like in their debut years, they got a cup of coffee the year before. And so you look at them and that's where they they learned, here's where I'm good, here's where I'm struggling, now I have an offseason to fix it. And the teams that don't do a good job of introducing those guys up at the end of, you know, at the end of a year to get them a test, those are also the teams that don't typically have rookie of the year candidates. And I'm I'm screaming in my head, New York Yankees, because they called up Oswald Peraza last year. They had him on the roster for 30 days. He played like eight games and they turn around this year. He wasn't ready for a major league job and got sent down. So that's why I think it's so important. Make Jordan Lawler, make the call on Friday. The first call up Jordan Lawler. Yeah, I think every D-backs fan would be absolutely <laughs> ecstatic. We got Corbin Carroll, Jordan Lawler in the lineup. Like, the future is here um, once that promotion gets called. So I would love to see that for both D-backs fans, and I think it would also just overall help um, this D-backs team down the stretch. Now, I want to ask you about the best non-Corbin Carroll rookies, Lindsay. But before we get there, I first have to tell our listeners about this little app that I use every time I want to place a same-game parlay called FanDuel because get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. 
Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. It can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. I love FanDuel for the same game parlay when the D-backs are playing and when the D-backs are rolling. I like to take the D-backs money line, Corbin Carroll double, and a Zach Gallon over six strikeouts when all those things hit. I got a little extra dough in my wallet and I'm feeling good. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on their hometown broadcast. We download the Sirius XM app and search up Diamondbacks. Now we're back here with Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects. Just discuss if Jordan Lawler should get the call up to the D-backs. But we've already seen some other rookies this season get the call up to the Arizona level. Lindsey, there's been a whole bunch of guys. But recently, one guy that has been really impressive for the D-backs who wasn't really he was on my radar entering the season, but I didn't really think of him of a guy that was going to make a major impact on this D-back scene this season. I didn't even know if he was going to be called up this season because at the beginning of the year, you had the Drake Jamesons and the Ryan Nelsons, and then there was the Fots and the Tommy Henrys. That's not even counting the Corbin Carrolls in your lineup. Like, there were so many other guys, rookies, youngsters to watch. And then, like, halfway through the season with the D-backs going in through this prolonged slump, injuries bullpen guys struggling the d-back called up a little guy named slade kakoni i've been calling him the wrong name for months on this podcast finally got the pronunciation right this past week but in 21 innings pitch three starts a bunch of appearances out the bullpen as well two five seven year ray he's not blowing away guys only six strikeouts per per nine innings but he does not give up a lot of walks really strong command 0 0.09 0 0.905 whip Lindsay, what can you tell me about Slade and how did you project him on a major league level before seeing what he's been able to do with Arizona recently? So my whole qu question when it came to Slade, and I've been saying his last name is Sassoni the whole time. So yeah, I'm, I'm I, right I, there with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it's something where we saw him. He was hurt when they drafted him, right? Mm -hmm. Coming out, out of Miami, he had like a triceps injury, things like that. And in the minors, it felt like he he was held back by his fastball, right? And it's something where the fastball sat around 94 miles an hour last year. You look this year, it's kind of the same, but he's able to work with the fastball and the slider now. And the big thing, and the difference in him and Brandon Fott is, the is what the fastball movement is. Brandon Fott hasn't been able to get that fastball to not be dead straight. Yeah. Slade Saccone, Slade Zaccone has movement on the fastball. And so the fastball slider combination work really well for him. Now, right now, the curveball isn't working that well. The curveball has been hit a little bit. He hasn't thrown a bunch of them, but it's some. I think the batting average against the curveball is like 429. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but outside of that, you know, he's able to keep the fastball off of the heart of the plate. He's he gets a ton of swing and miss with the slider, like over 30 percent with Mm -hmm. And so mixing those two together, the curveball, the changeup, it feels like he's still a little bit uh, in danger against a lefty because he doesn't throw that slider and he brings that curveball out and he hasn't thrown a changeup to a righty yet. He's just throwing, uh, you know, fastball, curveball, changeup. He loses his best pitch. Mm. But 
I've been really impressed with how he's been able to get the fastball to move more and how he's been able to locate it. And then the big thing, and that's another issue that he has, uh, that Brandon Vaught has, is when Slade misses, he doesn't miss over the heart of the plate. And so even when one of these does get hit hard, like the slider, it's usually outside to a, I'm sorry, it's usually inside to a righty. And so even when he, when he misses with it, it's hard for them to get a barrel on it and pull it for a home run. Unlike Brandon Fott, who when he misses with it, it gets destroyed. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest thing that I've noticed is Slade doesn't make those big mistakes, like you said, over yeah. the middle. He's not leaving up that curveball meatball that Mad Bum used to do so often. Or now that we're seeing Brandon Fott with that fastball, just sometimes that fastball just hanging a little bit too much in that upper zone. And was that something that you were concerned with with Brandon Fott when he was a minor leaguer? Because, look, I think Brandon Fott's starting to kick up a little bit toward the end of the season. It feels like he's starting to work through some of those struggles. And we do see it like some of these games you can see why he was such a highly talented guy. You can see him rack up those strikeouts in some of these games and put away these batters. But then also in those five innings where he gets eight strikeouts, he'll also give up three, four solo home runs if you're lucky, because if there's anyone on base, he might give up nine runs in that game. So how concerned were you with the struggles that he had in the minor leagues and how has it translated so far? So there's there's this idea where it's not as bad to miss over the heart of the plate Mm -hmm. If you're throwing 97, 98 miles an hour, right? Like Dre Jameson, his fastball was pretty straight. It doesn't, it doesn't move a lot horizontally, but he also throws it at 97, 98 miles an hour. Brandon Fott's being at 94. It's something if you don't have the velocity, you have to have the movement and the location. And like Brandon Fott's sweeper is a really good sweeper. It's one, it feels like it's one of the better ones, at least like on this team, if not maybe in this, like it's a really good sweeper, mm -hmm. but the downs like the thing for him is the fastball doesn't move. And so if somebody sits fastball, they can crush it. And then the changeup, there's a big, big red spot for the changeup in the heat map. Dead middle, middle changeup. And then even the sinkers, the sinkers tend to drift over the plate versus being off. And so like we knew that there was a little bit of it wasn't necessarily concerned, but we knew you had to walk a fine line with Brandon Fott because he had to have his location on because if he didn't, then his misses were going to be hittable. And unfortunately, it feels like his location on the changeup specifically is not on as much as it needs to be. Yeah, and I feel like some of the D-backs community have kind of gone off the Fott train because of so many of the home runs they've given up because when he does make a mistake, it just feels so loud and mm -hmm. so prominent as opposed to some of these other pitchers where maybe if they make a mistake, it's just a walk or it's like a double allowed. But when it's five, it's like a three-run shot. It's like a two-run shot um, in the fifth inning that just changes the tide and the momentum of the game. So it feels a little bit more important. But long-term, are you still in on Fott as like a high-level pitching prospect, maybe number two, number three starter in your rotation? I'm still in on thought, and I think a lot of it is just mechanical adjustments. This this sounds simple and dumb, and I'm sure someone's talked to him about this, but oftentimes when you see a pitcher who misses and it always seems to be in the middle of the plate, mm -hmm. you can just move them on the pitching rubber. This sounds incredibly stupid, but you can move them from, like, say, the left side of the pitching rubber to the right side of the pitching rubber just so that if nothing else, they throw the exact same pitch and the miss is in a different location. It could be. I'm not saying it is that, but it could be as simple as something like that to fix. And what I like is uh, the organization just built a new biomechanics lab over at uh, Salt, Salt River Fields. Mm -hmm. And so this feels like this is something that they can figure out and fix 
because they've invested in the technology and in the education to teach these guys what they're supposed to be doing. So I'm still in on Brandon fought and dynasty. I'd consider going out and trying to get him for super cheap, just simply because if it works, if they figure it out with that biomechanics lab, you've got a mid to, you know, mid to upper rotation arm and he should be pretty cheap on the dynasty market right now. (laughs) Yeah, are there any pitchers that are like, yeah, I can only throw my fastball straight, so depending on who's at the plate, I'm just going to move like three inches to the left or right like every other pitch just so I could get in the location I want. Paul Skeens is actually a guy that has moved around on the pitching rubber from side to side depending on, he doesn't do it per batter, but he does it depending on how he feels in the outing and what his where his misses are, and that's something where, it, be, it became kind of noticeable because in his first minor league start in rookie ball, after being drafted number one overall, people saw him do it and they were asking, why is he moving around? And he explained it after the game. And so, like, there are guys who do this. Now, I'm not saying you do it for every pitch because that or every at batter that kind of gives away some of what you're doing. But it could be as simple of a tweak as something like that just to make the misses not be hard of the plate. Yeah, that seems interesting. I don't know if I've ever really thought about that for these pitchers, like doing a little bachata out there on the mound, <laughs> just moving back and forth so they could get the location they want. I want to ask you about which who, who you think is a dark horse minor leaguer that could help the D-backs down the stretch run as they try to make it to a wild card spot. But before we get there, first, a quick word from our sponsors. And don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on their hometown broadcast when you download the Sirius XM app and search up Diamondbacks. Now we're back here on the Locked On Diamondbacks crossover with Locked On MLB prospects host Lindsey Crosby breaking down the Fox and the Slade. Kikoni's of the world? Always have to really, Yeah, I always have to like mentally think about in my head how to pronounce his name. I have like four different pronunciations up here. But uh, I want to ask you, Lindsey, um, which, you know, looking at the Reno Aces like roster, like... Listen, I'm not sitting here watching Reno Aces tape day to day. I leave that to the experts like you, Lindsay. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the stat sheet. I'm seeing like 20 dudes with like an OPS over 800. Everyone in Reno basically crushes from an offensive standpoint because Reno was just such a hitter friendly ballpark. And that's Reno. Yeah. I want to ask you, I mean, of course you got guys like Jake McCarthy, right, in the in the minor leagues that could really help this D-backs team down the stretch if it gets going. But who's someone that we haven't seen this year? I don't want a Dominic Fletcher. I don't want a Jake McCarthy. I don't want a Man Rivera. Who's someone that we haven't seen at all this season that you, could, that you think could be a dark horse for the D-backs as we enter this postseason run? This is a pretty dark horse because he's actually in double-A Amarillo. Ooh. But... Devison De Los Santos. Okay. So the production from third base, I, t- I took the liberty. The production on th- from third base on this team, the slash line, 240, 306, 356. 10 home runs in 134 games, 47 walks to 136 strikeouts. That's the production uh, from, from the third baseman collectively on this team when they've been in the thing. You're playing a third baseman you got at the trade deadline from Oakland. Uh, but... Devison De Los Santos went on the developmental list partway through the season. And so when you look at the full numbers for the full season, it doesn't necessarily look that impressive. But the key date is when he came back from the development list. So they, they 
if you're not familiar, the development list is a way you can take a guy out of competition for like two weeks. And in his case, they sent him down to Salt River Field. They did a lot of biomechanical work with him, and then they unleashed him back on the minors. So going into that stint on the development list, his slash line in 63 games was 207, 269, 308. Seven home runs, not super impressive, struck out 70 times in 63 games. Since he got off of it, it's been 36 games, so just over a month. 315, 340, 571. Nine home runs in 36 games, 19 extra base hits in 36 games. So, you know, better better than one every other game. And the big thing has been when you look at his swing and specifically some of the pre-swing movements that he does, it's a lot simpler. They took a lot of the extra the extra unnecessary movement in the load and everything out of the swing. And so he's better able to stay back on an off-speed pitch, catch up to a fastball. And it's something, his power is stupid ridiculous, right? I mean, it's 70-grade raw power. We've always known the power was there. And they, in essence, they taught him, you don't have to try so hard to, to like, if you make contact, it's going to be a hard hit. You don't have to put in all of that extra stuff in your swing to try to get extra momentum into the ball. Whatever you put in the ball is going to be enough. And so he's absolutely crushed since he got off the development list. And it's something where, yes, you have a little bit of defensive questions at third base. He's not the best defender at third. But if you're calling up a really good shortstop to play defense next to him in a Jordan Lawler, then adding his power to the lineup gives you a power threat that you really only kind of have with Christian Walker at first base and not really anywhere else. Yeah. And so adding Devison to the Santos, I think could be, it's worth a shot for what? 30 games and worst case scenario, it doesn't work. That's fine. He starts next year in AAA, but give it a shot because his new swing is much better. I like that call a lot. He's someone that I've had my eye on. Number five on the MLB.com top 30 prospects for the D-backs. He's a little young, 20 years old, so I don't Mm -hmm. know if he's maybe a little bit too raw. There is another guy on the double-A level playing the same position that I want to get your thought on if you have any. A little Ivan Melendez action. I feel like they're two sides of the same coin. Now, the thing with Melendez... Three years older, 23 years old. So maybe because of that age, you feel like he's a little bit more mature, maybe a little bit more seasoned, maybe a little bit more ready for the big moment. He's a guy that has been healthy the whole year. Just looking at the stats right now, it's not like I've done any deep dives on him. Just over 900 OPS, 30 home runs. Usually those numbers look pretty good on paper. So how do we feel about maybe a potential Ivan Melendez for the same take that you just had? So for the for the Hispanic Titanic, as they call it, okay. um, he's batting 258 in the last, I think, since August 1st or so is when I pulled that that numbers to prep for this. And I actually spoiler, alert, I actually have shares of, of Ivan Melendez in my big money industry dynasty league. So so I'm a believer in Ivan Melendez. Now, he's played a lot of first base in college. They're playing him at third and him and Davis and De Los Santos kind of swap back and forth. It feels like Melendez probably has the higher ceiling to me, but I think that De Los Santos is the hotter hitter right now. Okay. And so that's the hard part is like both of them are, are having good years and for De Los Santos, especially after July 14th. 
And so the, the question is, Melendez probably has the higher ceiling. De Los Santos is hotter at the plate right now. Which one do you do? Either way, you're pro it's probably, it's two guys that are very similar. Guys that are third base or first base. We're not sure if they're going to stick or not, but massive raw power. In Melendez's case, you've seen him perform under pressure in, you know, in college, you know, part of the College World Series team and all of that. So you could do either one. You've had more time with De Los Santos and double A than Melendez. So I'd lean De Los Santos, but you could make the argument either one of them could be a candidate to try them out at third base to see if you can add that power element for the stretch run. Yeah, and I did a, a podcast earlier in the week just talking about like D-backs contracts. Christian Walker only has like one more year where he's arbitration controlled, and then he's going to be a free agent in like mm -hmm. 2025, I think. So it's like it's a real question if you want to start calling these guys up just so you could get a little look at them. Because if Christian Walker is going to be like 33 years old entering for agency, it's a question of how much you want to pay him, how long you want to pay him. And maybe you let him walk in for agency if you believe in the Delos Santos and the Melendez of the world to come in and be your two corner infielders for you at both first, at both first base and third base. So D-backs at least have options on the left side of the infield because we know that's their weakest spot right now when we look at their team offensively. I'm looking at third base. I'm looking at shortstop. Perdomo, of course, short, uh, of course, all-star shortstop this season but long term do i think he's an all-star level player probably not probably just got hot for a couple months there but i do think i mean considering where we are at with perdomo in his career i'm just shocked that he's still a, a major leaguer at this point actually has turned into like a slightly above average major leaguer as well so perdomo has really um taken his development to the next level has looked really good this season um for the d-backs which is uh surprising because considering entering this year i didn't have a lot of Perdomo stock probably but Lindsay you know oh do you want to say something real quick I was gonna say like the big thing that stunned me when I pulled all the numbers is mm -hmm. the starting shortstops had a higher slugging percentage than the starting third baseman like that's what blew my mind because shortstop like it's one of those few positions you can understand making the trade-off of power for good defense but mm -hmm. third base isn't a position where you can do that it's like left field third base first base those are places catcher oftentimes those are places you need guys who can mash and this team hasn't necessarily had that, and that's, I feel like, has been the missing component to having a complete roster. So call up these two guys. Let's do it. Yeah, and Longo's got some power, but it's like, how much do you really want to play him at third base when he's, like, near 40 years old, right? He's probably a better DH because he does have legit pop still, but uh, is he mobile? He has, he has one of the highest hard hit rates on the team, but yeah. the issue is he also has, you know— something like 63 strikeouts in 61 games and injury yeah. issues. And so like a lot of injuries, yeah. Rotate him through DH him sometimes save his legs for when you need him, but bring up one of these youngsters to play every day, let him rotate in and obviously DH and stuff. You make the lineup a lot better. Yeah. Call up time for the D backs. Big takeaway from this podcast, Lawler, De Los Santos, Melendez, call him up and let's throw him on the left side of the infield. Lindsay Crosby of locked on MLB prospects. Where can the listeners find you online? I'm on Twitter at Crosby baseball. The show's account is at locked on farm. If you have questions, send them to us. We do those mailbags every single Monday. Please follow Lindsay on YouTube, on streaming all platforms and on social media, please. Until next time, Lindsay, doses.